Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. <laughs> so my wife is right over here, and I start hacking up a lung, right? And you know what she hits me with? Okay, boomer. I wish I could move this uh, camera to my left and expose her right now and make her crazy. I asked her, you want to put your face on TV? You know, no, not this face. See, we have it great, guys. Welcome, by the way. We have it absolutely great. Think about it, man. We get to come on looking like this. My wife, I'm telling you, the lovely Lee Ross, a natural beauty, by the way, doesn't need makeup, doesn't need anything, but man, you ain't getting her on Don't At Me without going in front of that damn mirror first. Is that right, Lee? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the show. I am all kinds of fired up. I am big time caffeinated. I'm going to tell you, and I talked about this yesterday on my show at Indy. If I'm Baker Mayfield, I'm showing up at camp. But first, you know, yesterday the mask mandate was lifted all across the country. And a federal judge in Florida said, hey, wait a second, uh, we've overstepped boundaries here with the CDC, so we are going to lift the mask mandate. Catherine Kimball Mizell, a beautiful, smart, everything you want in a human being, said, hey, uh -uh, no, no, we are lifting the mask mandate. Well, today, and I got to tell you something, I, you can argue any way you want, but you know I'm critical of this administration, but I got to tell you. And you've seen it right there. The mask mandate is going, lifting the mask mandate is going to be appealed by the Department of Justice, Biden's Department of Justice, assuming the CDC says they still believe that a mask mandate is needed on airplanes, public transportation, that type of thing. And I got to tell you, I am the commissioner of common sense. I'm the person that says, hey, look, I can look at both sides. I brag about it. I think I am. I, I think I am. I want to have a party that is just common sense. Not left, not right, not, no, just common sense. What makes sense? Well, I got to tell you, this makes sense. The Centers for D Disease Control are kind of running this deal. A lot of people then attack the Centers of Disease Control. A lot of people will attack different sides. But I got to tell you, at first when I saw that the Department of Justice was going to appeal the removal of mask mandates, I said, that's crap. And then I read a little bit. And you know what? Didn't say they're gonna. Says, as, this, as the headline there says, hey, look, we're going to take a look at this. And I ain't mad about it. I'm not. You know I can get mad about stuff. You know I ain't afraid. You know I'll jump up and down, stand on my head and poop snowballs, and next thing you know I'm off on a rant about something. But I am not mad if the Department of Justice, I want to make sure I have this right, the Department of Justice says, hey, look, we are going to wait, we're going to see, and, and, ladies and gentlemen, if, if the CDC deems it necessary, then we're going to appeal it. I think that's reasonable. Do whatever you'd like, like uh, my wife, the lovely Lee Ross Dockage, who is also a participant in the party of common sense, said, hey, look, 
When has the CDC ever, ever, ever been involved in these type mandates? And I believe the answer to be never. However, and then you can argue, well, the CDC is corrupt. Fine. You want to argue all that? Fine. I don't know. What the heck do I know? I'm just a guy that pays attention. But on the surface, the Center for Disease Control having a bit of influence on this makes sense to me. I don't know what's bubbling behind the surface. I don't know who's corrupt. I don't know who's not corrupt. I don't know. But I think this makes sense. So tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Uh, My only hope, frankly, my only hope is these mask mandates remain lifted and we can walk into an airport or onto a plane and not have to wear that freaking mask. One of the things that was said to me about this was, well, do you think Biden wants to be the most unpopular president ever? Well, how could that be? He got 81 million votes. He got 81 million votes like I got a full afro right now. My ass. But anyway, hey, look, and I also, I may say this every day. All of you folks, including folks here at Fox, including folks here on OutClick, including our leader, Clay Travis, I got to tell you, be careful. A lot of folks think it's going to be a runaway in midterms. It is going to be a Republican domination. Be careful. Here's why I say that. I saw it for years in Northwest Indiana. It's called the machine. Mayor Daley in Chicago had something called the machine, and it filtered down to Gary, Indiana. The machine works, baby. The machine works. And that machine is a system by which the party of choice doing the machine wins all the time. You saw it in the presidential election. Hell, all your favorite racists, Jamal Hill and others, were mad at the white guy for reelecting Trump. They went to bed. Others didn't go to bed. 81 million votes later, boom, bada bing, bada bang. You got a new president. I'm just saying, if I were a Democrat, excuse me, if I were a Republican candidate, I would be very, 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 very careful. I would already have something in place by which votes are counted. And I ain't going to sleep and somebody somewhere sitting in that room. Because I don't care what you crazy people say. I know. And everybody that lived in Northwest Indiana and Chicago knows about voter fraud. Don't take it for granted that as god-awful as this administration has been, and don't forget what President Obama said, which is do not underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to F things up. Don't sleep, because they got a little machine. Speaking of machines, let's, let's do this. Let's jump to sports. Last night, I got to tell you, I, I don't understand basketball the way it's played by the Atlanta Hawks. So the Atlanta Hawks are playing the Miami Heat. Miami Heat are a really good team. I mean, they're really well coached. I mean, they got dudes you never heard of that are going off and playing really well. The Atlanta Hawks have a guy named Trey Young, who I really like. In fact, I like him so much that I had my friend Bob Rathburn on, I don't know, a few months ago to talk about Trey Young. So basically, Miami's the best team in the East. We'll find out, okay? Let's, but they have the best record. So now they're playing the Hawks, and the Hawks are right there, man. It's halftime. Trey Young has 20. Not, no, 20. So to a lot of gamblers, Trey Young's over-under was 25 and a half, and you're thinking, okay, that's going to hit. 
a good friend of mine called me up, said, Dan, I heard you talking on your show. You got to, that's going to hit. I go, don't be so fast. All of a sudden, I'm watching in the third quarter. I'm watching in the third quarter, and I swear to God, I don't think I've ever seen this in an NBA with a great player. In the third quarter of an NBA game, a great player stopped playing on both ends. Trey Young literally stayed at half court while his team played four on four. You know what happened? 13 to zip run. Next thing you know, game is over. You don't give up a 13 to zip run to the Miami Heat in Miami, and you're not that good a team anyway, and you got Kevin Hurd and Boyan Bogdanovich doing all the shooting. No. No, 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 no. So next thing you know, they get routed, but that isn't the story. The story is I have never seen a great NBA player or supposedly great NBA player, and you can make the argument that Trey Young is a great NBA player. Hell, he led the, led the entire league in assists and points. I mean, that's pretty great. I mean, we make greatness out of guys that haven't done nothing but have good commercials. Hell, Tracy McGrady considered great. He never did this. Long story short, the dude stopped playing. He had five points in the second half. So 25 and a half didn't hit, which is fine. I don't care about that. But my God, I mean, uh, if you're great, I don't think Joel Embiid's going to stand at half court. I don't think Michael Jordan. I don't think, I don't think Patrick Beverly. I never seen nothing like it. Not going to, I've never in my, and he's did it in game one as well. Scored zip in the second half. Those of you that watch the game will do what I'm doing, which is say, look, give credit to the Heat. But damn, a great NBA player standing at half court while his, I don't know, good teammates, hey, they're not terrible. They're fine. But if I'm the Atlanta Hawks, I love Kevin Herter. You found a guy from Maryland in a draft, but I want Trey Young getting busy. Yes, get him busy. Oh, my gosh. And it ain't even close. All right. Let's move along. My guy, Timmy Doyle. See, this is why I want folks to watch this show. Right now, I got ESPN over here, and there's some, some you know, ugh. they're worried about Ben Simmons. They're worried about Ben Simmons. Who the hell cares about Ben Simmons? But every day, you watch these other shows, and you got Monica McNutt and J.J. Reddick talking about Ben Simmons. And Mike Greenberg saying, it's the most dramatic thing ever. It's like Chris Harrison on the freaking Bachelor and Bachelorette. We tell you what's happening here. And Timmy Doyle came on yesterday, and honest to God, he laid it out for you. He said, look, the Grizz are going to roll. Take the Grizz, give the seven. I did. But here's the deal. He mentioned this, and this stuck with me. He mentioned, well, you know. The T-Wolves got a lot of AAU in them, and man, do they ever. They don't guard nothing. They jack up shots if the shots are going in. Anthony Edwards, of course, 36. You go on the road, that looseness wins game one. Shots aren't going in. Anthony Edwards scores 20. Next thing you know, you lose, and you lose big. Now, here's the interesting part of this game. The bench points, 60-43 to 43 is what the Grizzlies outscored the Timberwolves Uh, off the bench. Here's why that's important. And again, we spoke on this yesterday. The Grizzlies were 19 and two without John Moran. Now think about that for a second. 19 and two without a guy that a lot of people feel could have been, at least will be, maybe, I think. (laughs) How about that for a definite maybe? In the top five of MVP voting. 19 and two without him. 
What does that tell you? It tells you they got a connected team. tells you they got a hell of a bench, and you saw it last night. I mean, my goodness. When you look at that game last night, what you saw was this. A great crowd again. And, ladies and gentlemen, you saw a team whose bench comes in, and I swear to God, you don't even know the difference. And that's like the dream of every coach. Think about it. I don't care what level you're coaching. You guys out there, you may be coaching grade school. You may be coaching high school. You may be coaching junior high. You may be coaching junior college. You may be coaching college. I know a lot of college coaches watch and listen to this show. But the truth of the matter is, my God, I mean, when you can come off the bench with a group of guys that can get the ball in the bucket and you don't feel or see any difference whatsoever, that's big time. No, that's, that's big time. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in high school. It doesn't happen in college. It does not happen, and that's pretty good. So I don't know what's going to happen with the Grizzlies. My man Doyle is usually pretty smart. He likes them to go to the finals. Uh, I take Golden State. I think it's hard to beat Golden State four times, and they play again tonight four times in two weeks. Uh, but having said that, the Grizz looked pretty good last night. Yeah, they lost game one, but look at your history. A lot of really good teams have lost the first game, including Michael Jordan against Atlanta way back. First game of playoff series, come back, win the series. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. But at the end of the day, John Moran did his thing, 23-10-9. But man, oh man, what an impressive display. Honest to goodness, what an impressive display by the folks out of uh, the Grizzlies. And what a crowd. Again, I'm going to say this every day. I love the NBA playoffs because I love the crowds. Love them. Don't like them. Love them. L-U-V-M. Then we had the Suns and New Orleans. Now, two things. One, I love New Orleans. Why? Well, New Orleans drafted Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson coming out of college was the next big thing, and maybe he still is. I hope he is for his sake. But Zion Williamson, when he went to summer league, was fat. When you're fat, I've said it before, I'll say it again, you guys could say it with me. When you're fat in the NBA, you get what? That's right, you get hurt. So what happens? Well, here's what happens. Zion Williamson, oh, he gets hurt. Yeah, he does. So Zion Williamson gets hurt. And supposedly the whole city of New Orleans is supposed to shut down because a guy that literally has never won anything gets fat and gets hurt and he got bad feet and next thing you know. But, ladies and gentlemen, unbelievable, Zion Williamson dunks a ball in warm-ups and we all celebrate. Yay! Fat and lazy is no way to go through life, Mr. Blutarski. Fat in NBA is no way to play in the NBA, Mr. Blutarski. So at the end of the day, he gets hurt. Everybody thinks Nolens is supposed to fold up shop, except they forget about one thing. One guy. Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram is what we refer to as a bad man. Brandon Ingram is the, is, I'm not going to say he's the greatest player in the NBA. I'm not going to say he's top five. I don't know. That's all for get up, right? That's all for them. But I will tell you this, Brandon Ingram is what every player wants. 
I'm sorry, what every team wants. Brandon Ingram is the modern or professional and college basketball player. About six foot nine, long arm, guard anybody, shoot it, drive it, finish it, rebound it, tip it, pass it, you name it. Brandon Ingram can do it. All he did was drop 37, 11, and 9. Now, I get it. I know what you're going to say. Well, you know, Dan, Devin Booker had 31 in the first half. You know, Dan, Devin Booker went out in the third quarter with a bit of a hammy. I know. Hey, that's great. I hate to see the playoffs determined by a, oh, I don't know, injury. Uh, you know who hasn't let the playoffs be determined by a, oh, I don't know, injury? Nolens. I don't think New Orleans is going to win the series. Uh, I've talked to a number of NBA guys over the last two months, and everybody tells me, look, Phoenix Suns are the best team. Oh, it may be. I don't know. But I know last night, as soon as Devin Booker went out, wow. Wow. Brandon Ingram took over, and it did not end up being a close game. It ended up being an 11-point game. Brandon Ingram, I swear to God, if I was out recruiting right now, give me five Brandon Ingrams and away we go. And you know who else? Uh, I know you guys don't know these names, and I know that everything needs to be about football, but I don't care. This is fun stuff. And if you put down, you know, whatever you think of the NBA and just watch, you'll love it. Jose Alvarado. Jose Alvarado's my man. I don't know him. I did a game of his at Syracuse. I thought he was great. So then all of a sudden, Jose Alvarado last year takes Georgia Tech into COVID and wins the ACC championship, the tournament championship, which those of you that live in ACC country know is the tournament. Long story short, Jose Alvarado hits a big three. C.J. McCollum, big three. Love it. So they move on. And I love – I don't move on, but they get, it, they get the series to where, you know what, you go on the road for the first two, you win one, you're in charge of the series right now. I don't think they're going to win the series – But hey, who the hell knows? I'll give you something else that I spoke about on my show, and I spoke with Sean Salisbury about this. If I'm Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield needs to show up at the Browns facility, and he needs to show up at the off-season workouts. Now, you're going to say, well, why? And I'm going to tell you to save his career. Here's the deal. On March 18th, Deshaun Watson somehow, someway was acquired by the Cleveland Browns, which, and given a huge contract, even though he's got 22 civil cases going of sexual assault and 18 more that he has to go in front of a judge. And oh, by the way, not one woman in Cleveland has said a word about it. Huh, wonder why. I don't know. Anyway, so Baker Mayfield is essentially out of a job in Cleveland. The offseason program started on Tuesday. Guess who showed up? Deshaun Watson, all happy, right? Sean Watson apparently can do whatever he wants to do to whomever he wants to do it to, and he gets paid and gets to play. Good for Deshaun Watson, man. Baker Mayfield, here's where he comes in. First and foremost, I think Roger Goodell is a chicken blank uh, guy. I think they have become the NFL, the most woke league. Uh, When you tell who you're supposed to hire and you base it on gender and color, then I 
you know, what are you going to do? Now, you've, you've surpassed even Adam Silver as the most, league and, most woke league, and good for you if that's what you want to do. So there's nothing going to happen to Deshaun Watson unless women's groups set, step up and say, why is this guy on the field? But I don't see that happening for a variety of reasons. All right? So Baker Mayfield has to, though, roll the dice. What does that mean? Well, let's just say for the sake of argument that, I don't know, the NFL grows some you-know-whats and decides to suspend Deshaun Watson, which they didn't do last year, suspend Deshaun Watson for three or four games. Well, who's going to be the quarterback? Yeah, I know they brought Jacoby Brissett in, but if I'm Baker Mayfield, I show up. I show up, I compete like hell, I try to save my career. Maybe another team says, wait a second, Baker Mayfield isn't this child that he is portrayed at. Baker Mayfield isn't just sitting on the couch of a podcast whining. No, Baker Mayfield's out here trying to be Baker Mayfield, which is a competitive kid that plays with a chip on his shoulder. I'm going to be there every day. They may have to kick me out, but I'm going to be there every single day day if I'm Baker Mayfield. I'm not going to sit at home and let somebody walk off with my job. I'm not going to sit at home and watch my career fall apart. Not a chance in hell. I'm going to go into that facility. I'm going to try my best to earn a spot on the team. I'm going to try my best to get someone else to see me. Because right now, what is Baker Mayfield to you? A quarterback without a job that does commercials that whines on podcasts. You know how you change that narrative? Uh, you don't change the commercials. Play the damn commercials, but make sure the cash keeps coming in. Who cares? <clears throat> you don't whine. You show up. You go to work. If they don't like you, they don't like you. Hell, Deshaun Watson came into a place in Houston every day, got his money, and left. If I'm Baker Mayfield, I think you're making a heck of a mistake. I do. I think you, make, I think you always show up. What do they say about life? 75% of life is just showing up. Let me go the other way with you. What does Baker Mayfield get out of sitting at home? He's got all the money he needs, nice wife, the whole shebang. That's great. He's got the whole, as my father used to say, catastrophe. Great. Professionally, what do you get? Paid, sure. I get that. But what else? I don't know. He's in the final year of a rookie deal. He said on March 17th, I'm seeing it right here, it's in the mutual interest of both sides for us to move on. Fine, you said that. These idiots on ESPN say things every day. Nobody holds them to anything. Nobody holds anybody to anything. So you said that. Well, Baker, if you think it's in the best interest of both to move on, why are you here? Well, I mean, I tried to move on and I got no offers. So now I'm trying to resurrect my career. And you look some big, fat, uh, pizza-stained reporter from Cleveland or from wherever, and you just tell them that, and then they're going to make up something. But who cares? At least you've told them. That's what I do. I don't think any good. I always look at the end game, and I always look at the other side. This is what people with common sense do. And I am the commissioner of common sense. I look at the end game. What's the end game for Baker Mayfield? Well, if he doesn't, Show up. Career over? Seems like. If he does show up and goes to work, keeps his mouth shut, career saved? Don't know. No guarantee. Sure seems like. 
But I'm telling you this, sitting on a couch, acting like you're somebody, talking ain't getting it done for you. But again, hey, look, the world doesn't listen to me, although it mostly should. I'll tell you something else, and we don't have this on the rundown, but I saw this this morning. Jerry West, and he should be, is blanked off of his portrayal in Winning Time, the story of the Los Angeles Lakers. He's kind of perceived as an angry alcoholic. Jerry West's people are hostile. Jerry West's people and Jerry West are like, wait a second here. This ain't right. This is not where I was about my business when I was with the LA Lakers. And he's got a ton of people behind it. Like he's got all kinds of people saying, hey, look, this is not the accurate portrayal of Jerry West. See, I've said this before and I'll say this again, and I actually stood up to this. These, these 30-year let's go back and portray people suck because, number one, they're never going to be 100% accurate. Number two, there's always going to be somebody that looks like a doofus. There's always going to be somebody who is portrayed poorly. And why should I, who was in the arena doing this stuff 30 years later, have to worry about how some writer, in this case, some clown named Jeff Perlman, portrays me? Like, it makes no sense to me. So some guy gets some accounts and he writes this. It becomes, a, it becomes a movie or whatever the hell you call this, a docu-series. And next thing you know, one of the all-time great players, Mr. Clutch, the logo, has to defend how he is portrayed 30 years before. It's complete crap. It's total crap. And I hope whatever Jerry West can do, whether it's Sue, I don't know what he can do. The portrayal is already out there. The portrayal is him right now every Sunday. And I got to tell you, if I'm Jerry West at 80-some years old, I have to sit back there and watch a lifetime of achievement, of greatness, put to rest, put to bed, and be smirched by some idiots in Hollywood, that would blank me off. But ain't a damn thing he can do about it. I wish there was. See, back a few years ago, when I was working at ESPN, they came to me and they said, hey, this clown named Robert Abbott is doing a 30 for 30 on Bob Knight and getting fired and all this stuff. <clears throat> and I knew Robert Abbott. You can close your eyes and you can imagine what Robert Abbott was. Robert Abbott was a little mealy mouth guy who was a, you know, one of these scrappy little producers that found this story somehow, some way. And, and I had met him at ESPN. He introduced himself, and I do what I did. I have a theory, keep your enemies, or were your friends close and your enemies closer? And I knew this guy was an enemy. Of course I knew he was an enemy. So I was nice. Hey, you know, I remember when you called me, yeah, I didn't really want to get involved. Anyway, so ESPN does this deal, and my boss is at ESPN says, Dan, we really need you in this. You were with Bob Knight the longest, and I said, you can do whatever you want to me. You can fire me, whatever. I ain't doing it. And they're like, why? I said, because Bob Knight has been through all this. How about you just leave him alone? Why does he have to wake up? Even though I don't like Bob Knight, I don't respect him. I like him. I don't respect him. But why does he have to deal with this 
at 80-some years old because you guys decide you want to sell some more Fords. And that's all it is. You want to sell some more cars on ESPN, Bob Knight moves the needle. It's no different than why the Indy Star writes an article on me once in a while. The paper sucks. You got, you know, $1 for 10 years, you can buy the damn thing. But whenever they put an article about me and put it on Facebook, the mentions, the shares, triples. No, it doesn't triple. It goes 100 times in some cases, even over the Colts and the Pacers. I understand it around here. But the truth of the matter is, I told my bosses at ESPN, you fire me, do whatever you want. But I ain't participating because it's crap. Because I knew who Robert Abbott was. I knew the slant Robert Abbott had. He was going to make Neil Reed be a victim, and Neil Reed wasn't a victim. And he was going to make Bob Knight look like a bully, and Bob Knight was a bully, but not in the way this guy was going to portray it. So I had no interest. I wish more people would stand up. I do. I wish more people would stop, you know, just caving in. You know, the worst people in in the world reside either in professors or in Hollywood or in the media. Those three groups are the worst. But who do we listen to? Who do we acquiesce to? We We acquiesce to those three groups, and they are the worst, absolute worst among us. They are. So anyway, Jerry West, to me, I hope Jerry West decides, hey, man, I'm going to sue somebody. I don't think he's going to. It's not going anywhere. There's nothing he can do. But it just sucks. That you got to look back 30 years, you're sitting in your 80s, you've had a great life, you've had a great career, you've done a lot of good things for somebody, and like everybody else, you're, we're all flawed, but some idiot writer, uh, Jeff Perlman, decides to slant some things, and next thing you know, you got to see yourself, your family's got to see yourself on, on a television screen that everybody's watching, and next thing you know, there you are, boom, it's crap, it's complete crap. But that's the world we live in. All right, we come back. The great Paul Kuharski is going to join us. He's the best, ladies and gentlemen. The great Paul Kuharski will join when we come back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what I'm going to say. He's the best. That's right. Paul Kuharski, Outkick 360. Paul Kuharski 
Com. You want to know what's real? I tell you this on this show. We're going to keep it real. I'll kick 360. We give you it real. PaulKoharski.com. You want to read about something in the NFL? You want to read something in sports? Paul Koharski keeps it real. Don't at me, people, because I'm giving you the truth. He joins us right now. Hey, uh, Paulie, a couple of things. The hell Dan, I look like, Nashville I look like Mikhail Gorbachev with this, with this on my head. I've got this <laughs> little gap in my office window that's uncovered by the shade. I was avoiding it as I was getting ready, and uh, there's no stopping the sun, Dan. There's no stopping the sun. Tear down that wall. Look, I can make it go here. It's a, right in my eye. It's, Sorry to interrupt. Give me Please A.J. Continue. Brown. What's going on? No, that's all right. What's going on with A.J. Brown? What's happening here? He's being a baby. Uh, look, uh, he and Terry McLaurin and uh, DK Metcalf and uh, Debo Samuel, all in similar circumstances, they've outperformed their contracts. Uh, Samuel's done it in a uh, smaller segment of time. Uh, I think A.J. Brown's the best of the four of those. Uh, we've talked this through on Outkick 360 pretty thoroughly, but um, – you know, they, they weren't first-rounders, so they're heading into the fourth year of a four-year contract. Uh, A.J. Brown's due to make under $4 million. He's certainly more valuable than that. Um, and I could see him making a play for an extension. I think the Titans would like to extend him, but they're big extensions. Um, Jarrell Casey, Taylor Lewan, Kevin Byard, uh, Derek Henry, who had a deadline on him because he was franchise tagged. They've all come in July. Uh, not in April. And so I think the timetable is is different for him than maybe he wants. Also, Dan, it, it, it would be the Titans' benefit to sign him early. Jonathan Hutton's been pointing this out to get out ahead of those three contracts. It would be to, to A.J. Brown's benefit to let those guys sign first so he knows what the market is and can ask for more. Um, but his reaction on social media has been really bad. I think he's been probably listening to some sports talk radio, um, maybe had some interaction with the team, did the thing where he takes their name off his social media accounts um, and, you know, says, oh, so I'm a diva now. All right, you do what you need to do and I'll do what I need to do. The guy's a great, uh, great guy, fun to interact with, one of the best uh, people on the team, but – he should just state his case on social media if he's so compelled and then, you know, fight the urge to comment on every little thing. He's not been able to do that. And it doesn't make him look good. It makes him look like uh, he's seeking drama or una unable to avoid it. So basically what he wants is a long-term deal. and he, But the problem is he wants it right now. And the, do players – do players feel like not showing up for voluntary workouts gives them leverage? I think they do. Or they must because uh, a lot of them do it at this stage. I don't think it gives them uh, much, much leverage, um, you know, and then, you know, he doesn't really have to me the option to hold out, you know, missing the three day voluntary minicamp would cost him about $93,000. And uh, if you hold out a training camp these days, it costs you forty or $50,000 a day, and that's unforgivable under the new CBA. It's not like in the old days where uh, you hold out for 10 days, you reach an agreement, and, you know, unbeknownst to us, 
they sweep that under the rug and it's, it's not a deal anymore. Um, so that stuff adds up fast. That's why Deshaun Watson uh, was with the Texans and they had to find something to do with him, but he was there day one. So, you know, the Titans still have uh, some hand in this. He's not going to not play this year. The next year where they have franchise capability with him, then he can, you know, hold out, not sign, demand a trade and all of that. I think they realize his value. Uh, they didn't win many games where he's been out. He needs to be healthier and they need to throw him the ball more. They, they're not determined enough to get him the ball, but they're a different team when he's on the field in terms of big plays and, and, uh, and threat. And uh, they've got a new passing game coordinator in Tim Kelly, who I would hope would use him more judiciously and more smartly and more frequently. What's the price range for him? What's the going rate for a guy like A.J. Brown? Stephon Diggs, uh, who's a better receiver, just got a you know massive deal that averages $24 million a year. DJ Moore uh, is one of a group that averages around $20 million a year. I would think he slots between the two of them. He may not be happy uh, with that, but I would think, you know, somewhere 22 ish. Then I think it's a matter of the guarantee. Um, and, you know, Stefan Diggs got something like $70 million guaranteed. I don't think AJ Brown's uh, approaching that Titans tend to keep those numbers relatively modest and packed into the first uh, couple of years, but I I think they'll be fair with them. And I I think 22 ish would be fair. You you said earlier, they get their deals done basically in July. And I don't know the answer to this. I know that the Colts, Jimmy Ursay is like, Hey, look, I'll spend. I don't care. Uh, Do the Titans spend? Titans spend on, on players, but uh, I mean, they don't, they don't chase, you know, they've let guys like uh, Corey Davis and Johnny Smith when the market was crazy with the Jets and the Patriots, respectively, they, they weren't involved in, in talks there at all. Uh, but Harold Landry, uh, you know, a very good outside pass rusher who is part of a very good front four, but he's not a individually spectacularly dynamic player. They ponied up to keep him because uh, he's an important part of what they do. They say they'll treat players like the players treat the team. Well, Harold Landry worked his ass off for four years, got steadily better, um, you know, never said a negative word about anything. And um, <clears throat> we, there was some suspicion they'd let him walk because they paid Bud Dupree, but they would have been right back in the spot to look for his replacement. And ultimately, as he approached free agency, uh, they gave him a pretty damn big deal. So for the right guy, uh, they'll pay. But it's not like they they bend over backwards to retain everybody. They know the limits of their own guys. Hey, Paul, when, when you look at the Titans and you look at A.J. Brown, A.J. Brown, I mean, players know. So – you know, you and people that follow NFL football and have shows, uh, I think a lot of people have pointed out Ryan Tannehill is kind of, I'll say plateaued, I guess. Could part of A.J. Brown's problem being he wants to play with a better quarterback? Or is this strictly a money thing? I think it's strictly a, a money thing. Um, 
I think he's seen guys. Uh, I mean, he saw Corey Davis go from uh, a pretty good situation in Tennessee being number two to him in a good year with it. Davis almost hit a thousand yards. AJ was over a thousand yards. Um, and they went to the playoffs, get huge money and go play with Zach Wilson. Um, you know, the huge money, Dan, isn't always where the better quarterback is either. Mo- most of the time, the big receiver contract is where the great quarterback isn't because you're trying to pump up the, the lesser quarterback. Uh, Devontae Adams went to a lesser quarterback. Derek Carr, pretty good. Tyreek Hill went to a way lesser quarterback to try to help boon the game of Tua in, in Miami. Um, so I, I don't think there's much more to it than he thinks he deserves the contract. Now, the way he's talking on social media, maybe he would let this in his head turn into some kind of fracture with the team. I think, I think that would be foolish. Um, you know, things get bad before they get better in some of these contract negotiations. I think once the checks in front of you or, uh, or you see the first deposit in your account, uh, then when you're on the field back with your boys catching passes and you've got the, the big check in the bank account, everything's fine again. There's no question. <laughs> hey, man, that just is not in sports. That's in every walk of life, man. <laughs> Money talks. You know what walks. Hey, I, I didn't really have this to talk to you about it, but, you know, you brought up the Dolphins. I saw this thing yesterday on Brady. You know, what, what do you make of this whole Brady going to be an owner and the quarterback, that whole thing with Miami? What do you make of that? Is that the future? Well, the one thing is I, I think that that's been lost as a nuance is premature. Like he wasn't going to walk in there and be an owner on day one. Bud Adams, when Peyton Manning was shopping after Indianapolis, you know, hatched a similar plan to that, that he wanted to give him a, a, a share of the team. <clears throat> that got looked into and it would have counted against the Titans salary cap, <laughs> quite frankly, blown it up because any percentage of an NFL team at any stage um, is, is, you know, worth a lot more than, uh, than a, a small piece of the, uh, than a handleable piece of a tight uh, of a team salary cap. So that would have been a handshake deal for down the road after the playing career was finished. And after they found a contract that fit under the salary cap, but that certainly hasn't gone away. And I saw some headlines today that Sean Payton admitted to uh, some preliminary, at least conversations with the Dolphins. So their plan was, uh, was, was Tom Brady as the quarterback, Sean Payton as the coach in, in Miami. And Brady could have had another, another stage to his career where he got to go head to head with Belichick twice, twice a season in the AFC East. I, I'm really curious about what happens to him in 2023 uh, when he'll be a free agent, we don't have any indication of, of a new contract talk with Tampa. We'll see how the Bucks do this year, but he could be picking his team again next year. And I'd say San Francisco is the one that, that he's always talked about. We'll see what happens with Trey Lance. And I know a certain team in Nashville, Tennessee, where a really good friend of Tom Brady's is the head coach and they can get out from under uh, a quarterback who's leveled off for $18.8 million in Ryan Tannehill. Everybody presumes they'll be going young at that stage, but uh, maybe not. Hey, Paul, whenever I hear about players becoming owners, I always think Glenn Robinson was coming out of Purdue, and he was a player of the year, and he was a number one pick, and he and his people – now, this is 1994-5 – 
he and his people demanded a $100 million contract with the Milwaukee Bucks. And Herb Cole, the owner, said, hey, I'll tell you what, Glenn, you take the franchise, I'll take the $100 million. You, you know, it's a little different now. But it, every time I hear of a player owning, I just I always flash back to that. Will we see this? Is this going to be like, you know, Michael Jordan's involved, obviously, in, in uh, the NBA. You know, people say, well, Peyton Manning should go back and be a coordinator. I'm like, you're out of your mind. Peyton Manning's going to own. He ain't going to be a general manager. Tom Brady's going to own if he gets involved. You think we'll see one of these guys in ownership roles? Um, I think Peyton probably winds up in, in some level of ownership role, maybe with with the Broncos upcoming. But I think fans get a little out of control when they think about this, as if Peyton Manning has $4 billion to buy uh, the Denver Broncos. Peyton right. Manning, very well to do, but Peyton Manning doesn't have the Walmart fortune um, that you need in order to own the Denver Broncos. So if players are looking to own teams, they need to be looking to like major league lacrosse um, and, and stuff like that. That's more in line with their portfolios. I walked into a guy's house with a very rich guy. We walked in to a very, very, very rich guy's house. And my rich friend said to me, he goes, Hey Dan, there's money. And there's real money. And he pointed, you know, to, to that. I think, yeah, I think people kind of lose their mind. If you were handicapping the AFC South right now, pre-draft, how would you handicap it? I, I'm still giving the Titans the advantage there. Uh, I like what the Colts have done with the, the secondary moves lately uh, with Gilmore and uh, McLeod. I think those are both really good additions. Um I, I've talked to scouts about Tannehill versus uh, Matt Ryan, <clears throat> excuse me, and they they take Tannehill based on uh, youth and uh, not that he's that much younger, but uh, he's a lot. I mean, he's young enough, younger enough, and movement. Tannehill can move around and and run and really get you some first downs and get himself out of trouble. Uh, Matt Ryan's a statue, and there aren't many statues in the league anymore uh that that's going to lead to problems there and pre-draft um you know who could like the colts at receiver right now so uh and and the left tackle what's going on there Uh, eric fisher uh, really worked out pretty well for them right so i think the titans holes are maybe (laughs) a little less dramatic and extreme or important um you know left guard give me a left guard need over left tackle need um, give me a second tight end need over a, a maybe first wide wide receiver need. Um, Houston and Jacksonville, do we really care what order they stack up in, Dan? Do you, do you really want me to dive into that one? I think I, here's what, you know, I got a lot of people around here anyway saying, hey, look, Jacksonville's kind of a wild card. You don't know what Trevor Lawrence is going to be in year two, obviously Peterson. Are they just to be discarded? Well, uh, listen, if Jacksonville gets good, it's an indictment of your boy. I know you hate to hear it, but um, yeah, they they spent too much money on too many guys who aren't uh, particularly good. I, I don't know who they were bidding against for Christian Kirk, who's a nice player, but got a contract that's 
way out of whack with what a guy like that uh, deserves. I do think Peterson will settle things down and they'll get better. And we do need to see uh, Trevor Lawrence start to, to make some progress. He, he's pretty much gotten a free pass off of last year where things were, were chaotic down there and, and didn't work out. Um, you know, but improvement for Jacksonville from the number one pick is to what? Five, five or six wins, not, not nine, I, I don't think. You got to understand, Paul, in Indy, Jacksonville always beats the Colts at least once. So we have a healthier respect for Jacksonville yeah. than maybe any other place in the league because we always see them beat the Colts. Do, do the Titans have a team like that? Do the Titans have a team, you know, that, well, hey, look, you, for whatever the reason, they're going to lose to this team. Well, it was the Colts for a long time. Um, you know, it took, yeah, it took, a lot for the Titans to, took a lot for the Titans to get past the Colts. They don't do well against the Chargers. Um, and that's another thing about the AFC South this year, playing the AFC West. I think, you know, Titans, Colts, and everybody playing those four teams – um, you know, I, I think the, the ceiling for the AFC South in terms of win totals probably comes down. I don't think all four of those teams are, are going to, uh, you know, be fantastic. But every one of the you know, usually when you're playing your other AFC division, uh, you get a dog or two at the bottom of that 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 feels like uh, a win. Um, I, I don't know who's who's a win heading into the season with rosters as we know them right now um, in the AFC West. And certainly the stack of quarterbacks you're going to face there. Very, very challenging. I got two things for you. Let's go to the quarterback for just a second. And it's in Cleveland. You know, you, you talk to more people by far and you know more about it than really anybody that I talk to. Uh, what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson? Your, I know you don't know, but your best guess. What, what happens? Does he get suspended? Does he play? Do women's groups step up? What happens here? I think he's going to get suspended to, to some degree at some point, but I, I don't know what the time trigger is for it. Do the civil cases have to come to fruition, which I think could be not till next year? Um, if, if he settles, is that an admission to the league of, of enough wrongdoing that, that he, uh, he gets something, I, I, I would think the Browns are beg for resolution before the season so that they know what they're facing and can, can plan accordingly and, and know, and not have the cloud hanging over them. But, uh, you know, I mean, the general consensus is that, that he'll disappear for something like six games. Um, but there are the leagues in a really kind of put itself in a really sticky situation by, uh, by going so long without saying anything. So now they need something to happen before they, they can rule and, and something happening is out of their, their control. Paul, a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you saw this. You see this judge, I think, in Cleveland said you're going to – or wherever the hell the judge was. You're going to have to answer for the 18 women that sided with you. Did you see that? What are you making? Yeah. I don't think it was in Cleveland. I think it was in in, uh, in Houston. But you're going to have to explain in Houston, yeah. what the yeah. relationships were with the people who sided with you to give us context, so to speak, um, you know, about the, the relationships that the people are accusing you of where you took things, um, further than, 
further than they wanted. Um, I don't know. I, you know, like this is not uh, any of our wheelhouses, so I, I don't have a lot of context for um, if that's a, a, a normal part of the process or anything like that. But I do think um, it certainly would fill out some of the differences between what, what happened with these 18 who say, you know, nothing happened that they didn't want to happen and the 22 who are saying the opposite. What do you think happens at Baker Mayfield? I, I came up with a scenario yesterday that I, uh, I'm very fond of. I don't think it'll happen, but I, I think I don't want Kyler Murray to have any leverage here with Arizona. I, I think the Cardinals should go get him because he's good enough for the Cardinals then to say to Baker, uh, to, to Kyler Murray, all right, don't show up. Go ahead, do what you want. You'll get your butt fined, you know, constantly. You, you can't afford to sit out for 40 or $50,000 uh, a day come, come training camp. And we can be fine with Baker Mayfield if, uh, if you choose to do something stupid. And it would put all the pressure on, on Kyler Murray to go play his fourth year under contract. But it really is odd that Carson Wentz found a team pretty easily and that Baker Mayfield's not getting any interest. Um, it, it seems like the league has just gone into draft mode and will now wait on Baker Mayfield until after draft mode. But you can't say he's not better than the alternatives people have found or not found so far in Carolina, in Atlanta, in Seattle. Um, you know, we were talking on, on 360 yesterday. We, we'd take him, uh, certainly in Seattle. Um, and, and over some of the guys who are, are set to start places. I know Florio keeps dropping Pittsburgh. I, I don't know that he'd land in the division. And, Dan, there's a sliding scale here. How much salary is Cleveland going to pay him has a direct correlation on what kind of pick they get in exchange for him. Um, but it, it feels almost blackballed at, at this stage, and he's better than that. What do you think happens with Kaepernick? Anything? Nothing. Yeah, so he's willing to be a backup now. I mean, that's all anybody would have approached him for. It's just, uh, look, for, forget all of the political stuff. When a guy's out of the league, as long as he's been out of the league, nobody resurfaces after that much time. It just doesn't happen. And it doesn't really matter the position. I mean, I, you know, people say, well, quarterback, yeah, I guess. But, I mean, hell, I don't, I don't think a left tackle comes back after however many years this has been out. Paul, great no, stuff, and that, man. That, I'm going to say you're the best. I'm going to say you're – I was just going to say on Kaepernick, uh, I mean, Go that is the that is the case for teams really having, uh, you know, decided they wanted to wash their hands of of uh, of the political story that comes with him because everybody's desperate for an extra quarterback. And I, I, I probably today he's better than I, I wouldn't doubt that he's better than a lot of backups in the NFL. He's probably better than a starter or two, but um Teams decided a while ago they were going to stay away from it, and now it's just timed out. Hey, let me let me ask you: When he walked out, or when he was blackballed, however you want to put it, how good was he? People say, well, he was three and thirteen in his last sixteen starts, or whatever it was. How how good was he? I don't think he was At great. The end. Everybody, At the end. everybody, everybody likes to you know point out that he was benched for Blaine Gabbert. Well. 
quarterbacks cycle through some. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky disappeared for a year, and, and now he's got a chance to be the starter for uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Quarterbacks stick around forever. Mike Glennon is still in the league and played games last year. How good was he? Well, he's certainly a lot better than Mike Glennon, um, who I'm sick of seeing uh, on the field in the NFL. So I'm looking, I'm looking for anybody in the league that could get Mike Glennon out of the league. And he certainly was good enough to do that. Did Glennon do something to you? Is this a personal thing or you just had enough of Glennon? Well, it's a personal thing every time I see him on the field playing terrible football. I, I take that personally. <laughs> you know who I got tired of? This is true. I, I had seats, great seats. I, however I got them, season tickets, right six rows behind the visitor's bench. I got so tired, and I thought he was so arrogant of Nick Foles. I'd watch the visitors, and I watched Tom Brady and Cam New Nick Foles, those guys were great. Newton was great with teammates. Tom Brady was getting loose, all that stuff. But that freaking Nick Foles didn't talk to anybody. He walked with his nose in the air. I never rooted against a guy harder that I didn't know than Nick Foles. He's my Mike Glennon right there. He's Nick Foles me. would beat out no, Mike Glennon very easily. Very easily. <laughs> I know. But it's personal. It's not just... Well, in your case, it's performance. I just oh, watch Foles, and I'm like, yeah, you can take that. Re I know. I, love, I know. Thanks, Paul. Hey, what do you got in the show today? What do you got? I'm the, I'm the best. We have you, I think. You are coming on our show. Hopefully yeah, you fix yeah. that background yeah. finally, and you won't be in your car. I know. Wednesdays are sometimes tough, man, because oh, I, gotta, yeah. I got the golf. other show. I got meetings. No, I got meetings, or maybe there is meetings. a golf Who are you game. I mean, with? look, what are you gonna do? Sponsors. I'm big on sponsors. One thing I like in my old age is this, big boy. I like me some this. So I will. I wear. I buy knee pads. I guess. Hey, I'm ready. I'm ready for Freddie, bub. <laughs> All right. Topic one on, uh, on Outkick 360. Dan and his sponsors. Yeah, I'm in. I, hey, I'll. Hey. I haven't eaten a grapefruit in 100 years, but I'll, eat, I'll, I'll represent a grapefruit. The grapefruit industry, I'm your man. I don't care. What do I care? Thanks, my friend. You're the best. I am. Thanks. That's the great Paul Kuharski. That was fun. That was really fun. I thank Paul for coming on. I'll be on Outkick 360 this afternoon, uh, 420 our time, which is Eastern time, I think. Uh, so anyway, we come back. It's a Wednesday feature. It's called What the Hell Wednesday. What the hell is going on around here? Also, don't forget Allison Williams, bottom of the hour. Man, so Mel Kuyper can just not get vaccinated and keep his job? Privilege! Privilege! White male privilege! I say to you. We'll talk to Allison coming up at 1030. This thing's tickling my ear. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel.
Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right. Apparently, it's National Lookalike Day. And my guys and gals on the YouTube chat are like, you know, crushing me, which is fine. Because Paul and I look alike. Uh, I want to thank everybody on the YouTube chat. There you go. A lot of talk on there. Nick Chaplin's on there. John Matthews. Jason is on there. A lot of folks on the YouTube chat that are, you know, getting after it. Not a big crowd. Not a big crowd. We got enough people, though. Brian Smith, Jason Cox, John Matthews, MRC14, Nick Chaplin. Of course, the boys from OutKick are on there. Go ahead and give us a like. Make some comments. Do whatever the hell you want to do. I mean, let's not mess around here. Let's get going. Um, What the hell Wednesday? It's Wednesday. It's hump day. It is. So we got to go with what the hell Wednesday. See, I would, I'm going to be bad here and I'll get in trouble, but I'm going to say score one for the good guys here. All right. What does that mean, Dan? What does that mean? That means we are all so tired of folks like Taylor Lorenz of the Washington Post. We are all so tired of media pukes being media pukes and people whining and being victims. You're not calling me by my pronouns. Men can have babies. Shut up. Shut up. Men, men can get pregnant. Yeah, that right? All right. Well, listen to this. In Shawnee State, at Shawnee State, which is a school, college, in Ohio, a professor, I want to make sure I have this right, a philosophy professor who refused to use a student's preferred pronouns will be paid $400,000. Now, this is four years. This is a four-year fight after the good old Shawnee State punished the professor for not using the preferred pronouns. Really? All right. The legal team argued that the university violated the First Amendment's right. Here's the story. During a political psychology class in January of 2018, Shawnee State University professor Nick Merriweather responded to a biological male student's question. This is how idiotic we've become. By saying, yes, sir. When the class ended, the student confronted Merriweather. The student declared to be transgender and to be referred to as a woman with feminine titles and pronouns. When Merriweather didn't instantly agree because, of course, we're all supposed to just say, oh, my God, yes. The student became belligerent and promised to get Merriweather fired. Now, can you imagine... Can you imagine in these countries over, over the water, either way, where this is what you worry about? Some dude not being called a girl going to get a professor fired because you said yes, sir. Can you imagine that? Imagine what atrocities are going on across the world. And this is what the hell we're dealing with because we've allowed ourselves to deal with this. So anyway, the student filed a complaint. The student filed a complaint with the university. A formal investigation was launched. And of course, 
Uh, Merriweather said the pronouns would force him to speak and act contrary to his own Christian convictions and philosophical beliefs. Merriweather uh, reportedly offered to address the student by the individual's first or last name. But of course, the student, because this is what I got to do. I got to be a jackass. The student insisted the professor use the preferred pronouns. Shawnee State rejected Merriweather, the professor's compromise, and claimed that he effectively created a hostile environment. Think about this. The world we live in, a hostile environment because a dude said, yes, sir. A hostile environment was created because a professor looked at a biological male and said, yes, sir. Now equate that to what's going on across the world. World hunger, genocide, all the stuff going on. And this is what we worry about in the United States. The university slapped the professor with a written warning in his personal file and threatened a further corrective action unless he used the student's preferred pronoun. The professor, Merriweather, countered with a lawsuit. He said that the school violated his First Amendment rights and his 14th Amendment rights of due process. The lawsuit was dismissed in 2020, February, but it was revived by the 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in March of 21. The university, a three-judge panel wrote, the university punished a professor for his speech on a hotly contested issue. And it did so despite the constitutional protections afforded by the First Amendment. The district court dismissed the uh, professor's free speech and free exercise claims we see things differently and reverse. So a couple weeks ago, the Alliance Defending Freedom announced that Merriweather had won his case against the university and Shawnee State will pay $400,000 in damages and lawyer fees. The university has agreed that Merriweather has the right to choose when to use or avoid using titles or pronouns when referring to or addressing students. Significantly, the university agreed that Merriweather will never be mandated to use pronouns, including of a student's request uh, that conflict with his or his biology. My God. This is what we worry about in our universities. Right there. What the absolute hell. We got stuff going on around the world that's insane. And this is, you didn't say, you said yes, sir. That happened to me once at my house. And I'm like, hey, look, man, whatever you want, but I'm going fishing. You want to go with me? Guy jumped in. We went fishing. Jesus. That's what we worry about. This is what we spend our time on and our money on. You know, it's a public university. I'm guessing they're paying with tax dollars. This is what we are concerned about right there. There you go. Good for us. Doctors in... <laughs> this is... this. Hey, Lee. Oh, she's not down here. This is like my wife's fear. All right? When you go to a dentist... My wife thinks of things. My wife thinks that people's, there could be a zombie apocalypse. And when explained yesterday between my wife and I and Jason Benetti, America's greatest broadcaster, and when she explained her stance, he's like, ooh, that's pretty good. It's not as weird as you think, but my wife worries about this exact thing. Doctors in Wisconsin were able to safely remove a tiny drill bit from inside a man's lungs after he inhaled the tool while undergoing a dental procedure. A uh, guy my age 
guy named Tom Kazi, was getting a filling from a dentist in Illinois. He inhaled the tiny drill bit and it went into his lungs. Now, this is my wife's biggest fear, that something is going to happen like this. So the guy says, hey, look, I was at the dentist getting a tooth filled. Next thing I know, I was told I swallowed this tool. I didn't really even feel it going down. All I felt was a cough. And when they did a CT scan, they realized you didn't swallow it. You inhaled it. So when you inhale, where does it go? Lungs. So now doctors in Kenosha, Wisconsin, said that the situation could have led to a very invasive surgery, but they decided to try a device that is typically used for early detection of cancer to pull the drill bit out without surgery. They posted the video on YouTube. And the doctor said, I was never so happy as when I opened my eyes and saw him with a smile. Oh, this is the, this is the patient. Said, I was never so happy that when I opened my eyes and I saw him with a little smile under the mask, knowing that the tool the little bit had been replaced. See, this is what we need in our country. So what did the guy do? Did he sue? No. No. Did he whine, bitch, and mutton? No. You know what he did? He took the little drill bit and put it on his mantle. That's all. Did, did, was there ever... I read the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that life is going to be free of anything that, that upsets you. Life is not free of everything that upsets you. Life is not that he, he didn't call me my what? Shut up. And I know, you know, you get in trouble for that, but I, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, so this guy decides, hey, look, uh, I got, I don't know, I got my drill bit out. He's not suing. He's not running around. Dear brothers and sisters, James 1, uh, 2, 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. It's one of my favorite Bible quotes. In fact, it might be my favorite. Nobody ever said life was going to be, I decide to change my pronoun, so I'm going to get a guy fired. What? What? And, huh? I got a drill bit stuck in my lungs. I ain't going to sue anybody. Just get it out. I'll put it on my mantle. See, us guys that are 60 years old, I know. We're, what are we called? Boomers? Yeah, okay. We should be listened to more. I, no, we should be listened to on every single deal that there is. Only in the United States do people give a rat's what 20-somethings think. Nobody cares. They don't have any experience across the country. They don't have any experience. There's no experience. There's no nothing. Listen to us. We have experience. Oh, man, I got a drill bit. Eh, I'll put it on the mantle. You said I wasn't whatever. Okay. Uh, this is interesting. There's a world out there that I'm actually involved in now. And what's the date today? In fact, I think I got to make a payment today. There's a world out there that I don't understand, but I am involved in. It's the crypto, meta, NFT world. I went to a meeting a, a week ago. My brother's really smart. He's really smart. 
So a bunch of guys, basically, were hiring a guy to get us involved in this world. So we met. I'm listening. A buddy of mine, Jimmy Bates, looks at me. He goes, Double D, you know what they're talking about? I go, I really don't. But I know there's three things. Crypto, you know, that's, that's your Bitcoin, Dogecoin, that kind of thing. Meta, which is a reality. And then you got NFTs, which is kind of a product. All right? That's what I got out of this. So listen to this. A man who paid $2.9 million for an NFT. Now, don't ask me to explain it. Of Jack Dorsey, a.k.a. Jack, the guy who invented Twitter. Guy paid $2.9 million for an NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet. He paid this money for the first tweet. This is the Mona Lisa of the digital world, this guy said. Think about that. The Mona Lisa of the digital world? Are you serious? That's how big this is. Listen to this. You know what the guy lost? $2.9 million. You know why? He tried to resell it. Now, let me ask you a question. I've always said this. When you guys and me, I collected baseball cards. All of us collected baseball cards back in the day. And we all have stories, including me, of your mother throwing out bags of baseball cards. Mine were in a, ba- a brown Wiseway bag. My mother threw them out. I got a new pack every year from my neighbor, Randy Moore, on my birthday. Okay. We all have that. I've always said this. Honus Wagner baseball card is the holy grail of baseball cards. It goes for millions at auction. My question is always this. Who does the guy that spent millions on, who does he sell it to? I don't know. So this guy, Sina Estavi, made headlines a year ago when he paid $2.9 million for an NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet, meaning the first tweet in the history of Twitter, which I get. I mean, look, Jimmy Ursay, the owner of the Colts, he collects vintage guitars. I get it. People want stuff like that. I think that's fine. But here's what he did. This guy, Cena, he tried to resell it. So he was going to turn around. He's got the Mona Lisa. He's going to resell it. You know what? You know what the highest bidder when he tried to resell it was? $6,800. How about that? So he put it up for sale. He was asking $49 million. The first offers on this were in the low hundreds of dollars. I didn't say hundreds of thousands of dollars. I said the low hundreds of dollars. How about that? The highest bidder was 2.2 of the cryptocurrency Ether. Now, I got no idea what that means. However, they told me what it was. $6,800. Wow. My offer to sell was high, and not everyone could afford it, Estavi told Reuters via Twitter. Really? It's important to me who wants to buy it. I will not sell this NFT to anyone because I did not think everyone deserves this NFT. That's awesome, man. That's, that's, you're right. This dude lives in Malaysia. 
He was arrested last May on a trip to Iran. He was freed in February. He has been accused of disrupting the country's economic system. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. All I know is this. Uh, I don't understand it enough, but I for damn sure know if I got $2.9 million laying around, it ain't going to a tweet. ANFW. You can look that up. There ain't no chance. Uh, hey, look, I got $2.9 million. Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Yeah. If I have $2.9 million that goes to Jack Dorsey's first tweet, that means I got $10.9 billion in the bank. And I ain't got close to that. All right? This is interesting to me. This is a what the hell. In basically every town, and it's actually a what the hell out here. I live on a lake. And the lake goes through a couple counties. I live on the south side. I live in Indianapolis. My address is Indianapolis. The north side is Hamilton County. And basically on this lake, it's a longer lake. With It's not big. It's just kind of long. It's man-made. There's a dam right over here by my house. So basically, and this is a what the hell too. I don't understand this. But basically you can hunt at different parts of this lake. Now understand, this is one of those lakes that I'm looking out and I see house, 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 house. There's houses. There's no area. There's one area where houses are being built. There's no area where there are no houses. But somehow, some way on my lake here, you can hunt. So every once in a while, I hear gunshots. You can't hunt in Indy, but you can hunt in Hamilton County. I think it's called Fishers. You, you hear guns once in a while. Dudes are hunting like geese and stuff. That's a what the hell for me, but I digress. Did you know, did you know that, and let me back up, in every town that I have lived, whether it's Bowling Green, Ohio, Bloomington, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, Maryville, Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, Zionsville, Indiana, those are all places that I've lived. In every single place that I've lived, shooting guns is illegal. I just figured out, I, I just always figured, hey, if I live in a town, Shooting a gun randomly has got to be illegal. You just can't shoot guns in, a, in, in city limits mostly. Now, look, you want to go out here to gun clubs or you want to go out into your field, you want to go out into the cornfield somewhere in Fortville, Indiana, go shoot the living heck out of your guns. Uh, did you know this? Did you know that the other day, what day was this? This was like yesterday. The mayor of Louisville, the 14th, the mayor of Louisville signed an ordinance that says, hey, look, uh-uh, it's illegal to randomly shoot your gun. The headline is this, WDRB. Louisville mayor signs ordinance making random gunfire illegal in the city. So the opening article is this. It came as a shock to many in January when it was learned that randomly firing a gun in Louisville was not a crime. So Greg Fisher the mayor of Louisville decided he was going to do something about it and signed the so-called gun discharge ordinance, making firing a gun randomly in the city illegal. The, the plan was first unveiled by Democrats on a Metro Council in January as a way to reduce gunfire throughout the city. 
Prior to the city-county merger in 2003, the city of Louisville had an ordinance in place, but that ordinance apparently went crazy. There were over 5,700 reports in 2021 alone of random shots being fired. And of those 5,756 cases, there was no method of punishing all that were responsible unless it resulted in a crime. Meaning, or, 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 or. So in Louisville, up until the 14th of this month, a week ago, I don't even know what date it is. What the hell date is it today? I don't know. But you could fire a gun in the city limits and nobody cared. There was nothing they could do about it. Maybe I'm stupid, which I am. I think we would all agree that I'm not very smart. But I did always assume, rightfully, wrong, apparently wrongly, I did always assume that firing a gun, thank you, uh, firing a gun within the city limits of a major city, I always thought was just illegal. There's two things I always thought about guns. I don't want a gun. I don't have a gun. I got a little BB gun that if somebody breaks in my house, I'm going to shoot them. You know what I mean? But I always thought two things about guns. One, firing a gun in city limits has to be illegal. I always thought that. And I'm, when I said the cities that I live in, I don't even know if it actually is illegal now that I saw this. I just always assume. The other thing I assumed is when I shoot a gun in the air, doesn't that bullet come down somewhere? Like, Boom, boom, 4th of July, I'm shooting my gun. See, a Serbian people, Serbian people, when a guy is going to marry a woman, we get in the back of pickup trucks, go not kidnap the woman. I'm not exactly sure what you're supposed to do. And everybody gets guns and we shoot guns in the air as we're driving in the neighborhood. In fact, a very good friend of mine had to tell his neighbors in Sand Creek and Chesterton, which is a rich neighborhood on a golf course, hey, look. There's going to be a pickup truck with a bunch of dudes shooting guns in the air. It's okay. It's just a tradition for us Serbs when you get married or you're going to get married. I'm not even sure anymore. It's been so long. But the truth of the matter is, where do those bullets go, Dylan? Where do they go, Ryan? Where do they go, all you people on the YouTube chat, I shoot a bullet in the air. It doesn't disintegrate. What if it comes down on somebody's freaking head? I hear geese. <laughs> Do you hear them outside? Like, those are the only two things I've thought about guns. That, and I hope I have one if somebody ever breaks into my house, but I don't have one. It's a very odd thing, these guns. But anyway, Louisville, they corrected a problem. There you go. It would be interesting, don't you think, to one day do a show on what the hell laws are still enacted like. I think there's a lot of weird sex laws that still are on the books in the state of Indiana. I may have my crack researchers or my researchers that are on crack look this up. I'm not sure which way it goes. But I do find it odd that Louisville, a city which with much gunplay, much gunplay, Ah, Louisville, let me tell you something. That town, that's crazy. It's not quite my hometown of Gary, Indiana. Nothing is, but damn. 
right. Uh, I didn't have this on the books, but I got a few minutes here, so I figure I might as well, before we get to Allison Williams, I figure I might as well talk to you about this. Tonight, we got some NBA action, and I'm trying to win you money. Here's my goal. My goal right now is to make $1,000 minimum off of the NBA playoffs. I have made $4,100. I told you this during the NCAA playoffs. I made $4,100. What I did was I took $250 to start with. When I got it up to $750, I took the $250. I actually gave $260 back, so I at least made $10 on the initial bet, and then I made $4,100 off that $500. You see what I'm saying here? $250, got the $750, got rid of $260. I had $500, $490 left and I made that into 4100 I did the same thing here uh, with the NBA. Now, I started with 250 I put 260 back, and I'm up to $748.24. Tonight, you've got the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. You've got the Raptors and the Philadelphia 76ers. And I believe, yes, you've got the Bucks and the Bulls. Now, I'm not 100% on any of these. But the one that I will take tonight, I will take the uh, Brooklyn Nets and three and a half points. I think the Brooklyn Nets win tonight. In fact, if you want to take it outright, that's not a bad move either. No, it's not a bad move. It's not the best move, but it's not a bad move. Uh, I think the Brooklyn Nets have to be a little desperate, let's be honest. Um, A bad possession at the end of the game offensively and Kyrie Irving doing just enough to get you beat defensively on the Jason Tatum layup still would have covered the three and a half. I don't think three and a half is enough. I'd like to move that to four or four and a half if I could. Four and a half, I'd feel feel real comfortable, but that's my goal. The other thing that I bet, and I don't know if I love this or not. Actually, I'm up to 848, but I did back down on one thing. Uh, I did put $100 on Golden State. It's a parlay. Golden State to win the West and uh, the Sixers to win the East. And frankly, uh, I could cash it out for 100, but if I win, it's 2,000. We'll see what happens. But anyway, I, I do like that tonight. I, I, look, I think I also think the Sixers are just the best team in the league. I do. I think Toronto's going to play hard, we the North, all that stuff. But I am going to bet tonight, and I am going to take uh, Brooklyn. I won last night, last time on Brooklyn getting four. Uh, I'm going to push that probably to four, four and a half if I can. But I think that's free money at four and a half. I do. Uh, I'm going to look at some in-game things, like I'm going to look at player props. But right now, I'm not 100% sure. I kind of like to wait on that and make sure everybody's playing and make sure everybody's healthy. But that's what I'm going to do tonight. Again, my goal is is not a big one. Uh, and maybe I'll change it. Maybe my goal in the first round is to get out of it up a 1,000. But that's what I'm doing. I tell you this, making 4,100 was pretty nice. Paid for a trip to Vegas. Stay with me, folks. I'm telling you. Uh, this show is real. We are real. And speaking of real, Coming up next, Allison Williams is the most real. There is nobody more real than Allison Williams. She's going to join us, and we're going to talk about a couple of things. One, her view on the mask mandate. Two, why is Mel Kuyper able to do his job from home? I know it's different than being a sideline reporter. And number three, does America still own owe Allison Williams an apology? I say they do. Stay right here. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. 
from hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, save $30 on the American-made Steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I contend America owes Allison Williams an apology, and I think I think it even got furthered this week, but I'll get into that in a minute. Allison Williams, nice enough to join us. All right. Mask mandates are off of public transportation, including planes, Amtrak, Uber, that kind of thing. However, the DOJ is looking into, I don't know, uh, appealing that. Where are you with this mask situation and mask drama? I mean, holly frickin' Louie, right? Like, I saw it was like relief and excitement and joy and celebration, all those things. Um, I think a lot of the reaction of what you saw people were flying and they could take them off is how everybody kind of felt. Not everybody, uh, but a lot of people. Uh, and you kind of knew this legal process was going to drag out in some form, right? Like it's not like there's going to be one ruling and it's done and, and everything's back to normal. Of course, there's going to be an appeal and so forth. It's the way we're programmed and uh, the way everything has gone throughout this pandemic. Um, so excited to see that that it was lifted. Um, I actually have to fly next week. And so I'm, I'm praying that it's it's like still lifted by then. Um, but we'll see how it, it plays out. It's been interesting to see, you know, how this judge has been represented, um, how she's been portrayed and, and covered and and the things that have been said about her. Um, and then it's also been really interesting to see how upset people are by it, which is super bizarre. Um, but I was, I was excited to see how happy like the flight attendants and all the airline workers were. I mean, you didn't know, right? Like, cause they're the ones enforcing it. Are they in support of this? Do they believe in this, that type of thing? Um, so it was awesome. And it was awesome just to see like how, how in favor of it they all were, because I can't imagine what a disaster their jobs have been for the past two years with all this. Let me let me go this route with you. The DOJ is saying, hey, look, we will appeal if the CDC thinks we should. That's reasonable to me on the surface. Is that reasonable? It sounds reasonable, but when you realize the reason it was ruled against, um, it's not. Does that make sense? So the judge basically said the CDC. Yeah. Um, it, it was overreach of their authority, and it doesn't fall under this sanitation um kind of guidelines where they are allowed to implement rules requiring sanitation. And that's where they were saying this fell. The judge said it did not. So that hasn't changed. Um, the other thing that hasn't changed is the them going through the appropriate procedures to put this in place. So they, there needs to be like time for public comment and review and all this stuff. So they didn't follow the proper procedures and it fell with uh, um, outside their, their scope of power. So neither one of those things has changed. Obviously the CDC would still say they need to have it. Um, so I'm not quite sure how their appeal would hold up because it doesn't address the two issues that the judge ruled were um, a violation of the law in, in implementing the mandates. Hey, let me go back to something you said because uh, Catherine uh, Kimball Mizell, I think is how you say her name, she's been getting crushed. That's like the blueprint, right? Somebody goes against what you guys want, not you, but you know what I mean. And mm -hmm. man, instead of discussing it, we're just going to crush the judge. Like, yeah, I, she's yeah, pretty courageous, weird. is she not? 
I mean, she definitely um, um, took a stand. Yeah, I, I think her interpretation, though, I don't, I mean, I don't know if courageous is even the right word, right? Like, you, you know, there's going to be pushback. She interpreted the law as presented to her and, and then made her arguments as such. Um, it, it's crazy, though, the way the people have gone after her and um, brought up her, like when she was appointed and how she was too young and the bar association didn't think she was qualified and had enough years of experience. I was shocked how young she was. I had, I was like, damn girl, you, you got after me. She's like 35. Right. Um, and you know, of course a, a Trump appointee, which people put in the headlines right away. Like it, it, it all has this whole, um, again, politicalization of everything that's decided or pushed and so forth. And you forget that like other parts of the world are dealing with this too. Um, I saw a few things on Twitter that they're like, why is this all automatically become this huge issue in the U.S. and it's a right versus left thing? Like in, in the U.K., they dropped all these mandates, they dropped the mask mandates and people were like, okay, cool. And they went about their business. It wasn't like there was this great divide in parliament and people are all pissed off on one side and, you know, painting the the certain people in a certain way. Um, so it's just this further drive of left versus right, masks versus unmasked, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And it's like, everything about her gets brought up and, and, and put to scrutiny and so forth. Um, it's very bizarre. Unfortunately, it is the world we live in. And um, I'm thankful she took the stand that she did. And she, you know, held firm to her principles and her interpretation of the law and the language of the law. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see when you, it's like this, what we've seen throughout, right? When you can't attack the argument, you attack the person. And that's what they're doing with her. And that's what they do with so many, so many people throughout all of this. They just go after you as an individual because they realize that there's no holes in your argument to attack. Yeah. And, you know, anyway, have you dealt with I just dealt with this yesterday and I was a little bit surprised. I'm not going to say the company, but I was I'm going to Chicago on Friday and I wanted to do my radio show from a broadcast company, I, you know, my agent asked, they said, is Dan vaccinated? I said, yes. I I'm not boosted, but I am vaccinated. And they would not let me do it because I wasn't in their mind. I thought that stuff was over, but apparently it's not. Is it over where you're at? I have never been denied I mean, <laughs> I lost my job. So <laughs> I've never been that denied access to any event or, or, or ever ask um, for, well, no, I've never had to like not be able to do something after losing my job, obviously, which was a huge thing. And I couldn't do a lot of things um, because of the vaccination status, which was interesting to me because I have friends who got it just out of fear of like, well, this is coming. Like, I'm not going to be able to go to a concert. Or I'm not going to be able to go to a restaurant without it. So I'm just going to get it just to get it over with. Um, we've lived our lives very normally. I mean, I haven't gone to the places where it's, um, more strongly enforced, like up in San Francisco, I'll go to New York next week for the first time, but those mandates have been dropped. So that's, it's bizarre to me. I mean, it's just so indicative of like the politics of where you live seem to dictate whether or not it's still an issue. Um, but the boosted thing to me, like, that's crazy. So what do they check your expiration date? Or you have to like so many punches on your vaccination punch card? Like, <laughs> come on, really? Really? I mean, and, and isn't there an alternative? Isn't there like a or? Like, that's what I always was. There was an or or a negative test. I don't Oh, that's that's just so creepy. It, it shocked me. Yeah, it shocked me. Like I, my, my, my agent Moore is like, hey, you vaccinated? I said, yeah. Uh, you you know, it, 10 minutes later, hey, you boosted? I go, no. Uh, 
10 minutes later, now yeah, you can't come in. All and, right. And isn't hey, that look, weird? I'll, like, I'll do it from the back. Yeah, I don't. And, and it's like, okay, well, then what was the date of your vaccination? Because what, let's say I wanted to really, really. So when am I going to go get vaccinated and then wait two more weeks to get boosted in a month? So like, I don't know. That's that's so bizarre um, that people are still. But I mean, I guess they are in certain parts still enforcing that. Um, wow. I just don't know how they justify it. What is. What'd you make of Elon Musk and his take is uh, his attempt to buy Twitter? What'd you what'd you make of all that and the rejection of said bid? I think it's just interesting that people are are more worked up about him trying to buy Twitter than like Bill Gates is buying all the farmland, <laughs> like BlackRock and all these major corporations are buying all these private homes. Like that shit creeps me out uh, and concerns me a hell of a lot more than who owns Twitter. I think Elon is a badass, and I. I I think it brought some necessary attention to the censorship that's going on. And, and not even just the censorship, because I think people knew, obviously, people get banned if they don't think a certain way or say certain things. I mean, the last president is banned off Twitter. Like, if he can be banned. Anybody can be banned. Um, and it was all people who fell under a certain umbrella or silo, right? Those were the only ones that were being censored. But I, I, I hope that it also brought attention to the way that they manipulate algorithms so that you only see the information they think you want to see and, and the complexity of what they do to keep us dialed in and to keep us logged in and to keep us divided because that's, that's what continuously happens, right? Like they have these algorithms and they say, okay, you think this way. So we're going to show you stuff that is basically confirmation information for you. And then it just creates this silo and you don't ever see as much from the other side. So I, I hope people became more aware of how um, even the information they're presented, even if it's stuff they agree with, is all being manipulated for a certain agenda. And I think it's that it's that division. Um, I, I, I want to see what plan B is, though. Right. Like he kind of alluded that to one of his talks that if it didn't work, this, they did this whole poison pill. And if they, you know, they didn't accept his bid and blah, 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 there was a plan B. So I'm super curious to see kind of what like plan B is now for Elon Musk. What do you make of Jack Dorsey being a little bit critical of CNN? I mean, it, it was good to see. Right. Like it, I, I think that's where it has to start is people from. Um, expected viewpoints stepping outside their preconceived lens and and having some critical opinions outside of what you would expect, right? I mean, like we're I think we saw it with um, Bill Maurer as well, right? I mean, he's a guy that always fell into a certain category, but he stepped back and said, like, no, this this is whack, <laughs> essentially. Um, so I think that's good that if people can can realize, okay, this is someone who has always been on our side, and even they realize there's some issues and some some um, problems with some of these institutions. And that's where you can have real conversation because people are going to be more open to listen to listening to someone like a Jack Dorsey or Bill Maurer, who they feel like has traditionally aligned with how they believe and see things. Um, I think that's where you affect change is because you can find that common ground and that bridge. And instead of being like, okay, well, this is this person. Of course, I think this way. This is the box they belong in. Disregard their opinion. It's like, well, wait a minute. He always thought like me why is he seeing things this way or differently? Um, so I think it's definitely a positive for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a couple of friends that you, that you know through ESPN. I, when I was talking to you last night, it's like, man, I'm a very liberal person, but this is hard to defend. 
<laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. it's getting harder and harder to defend. And, you know, again, uh, I think you and I are the commissioners of common sense and common sense should rule. Simple. <laughs> right, right. And I, I think know. it's someone, oh, yeah, it's someone who like, you know, you sit one way for so long and then you start to see things um, that don't align with like your core values. You kind of got to, you got to reassess. Like, And I've said it from the beginning. I, I've always leaned more liberal and more democratic and I've, I feel like the party left me more than I left them. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are feeling that way. All right, America owes you an apology, woman. <laughs> Why? I know you had different jobs, but Mel Kuyper can just be unvaccinated and work at the frickin' draft. What are we doing? So, yeah, um... I, I was shocked, first of all, when I saw this kind of all come out. I had I had no idea, which I, I was I was kind of surprised. I was surprised if that makes sense, because most people, when my stuff all went public within the company that were kind of feeling the same thing, reached out and, and, and shared their stance. And I didn't hear from Mel at all, which is fine. I mean, I don't really know him personally. So I had no idea that he, too, you know, was unvaccinated and gone through the whole um, process. So. Obviously, I think his role, given the fact that he was doing so much remotely, probably played into the fact that they were allowed to grant his exemption, whether it was medical or religious, I don't know, um, and that he didn't need to go to events as much as I did. Um, but it is still interesting because I did host, I did do stuff remotely that I could have continued to do um, that they didn't allow because they wouldn't grant mine. Uh, so I could understand why his was easier to accommodate, but I think they still could have accommodated both of ours and more people's. Um, I don't think they did nearly enough to accommodate certain people, but I'm sure with his, it was a more like, like we, we all know like his would have been much more high profile. And so you wonder how that plays into things. Um, so I, obviously I support him and I'm, I'm glad he took the stand that he did, um, and I have a feeling it was probably one of those things, too, like he fully expected by the time the draft rolled around that these the travel ban with an ESPN and so forth would be modified or lifted because that that's the whole thing. Like people don't understand it's you have the, the exemption to stay employed, um, but then you have the travel component and ESPN took a hardline stance that there would be absolutely no exemptions to travel. So if you had to travel to a game or to an event like the draft, you absolutely had to be vaccinated and then boosted no no exemptions whatsoever and they put that on their league partners and the universities and saying well this is in order to comply with the varying vaccine mandates across the country and across our league partners um so we're going to make this like blanket mandate with no exemptions uh for travel so that um that is probably something he thought would change i would expect by the draft which is why he like laid low and just worked you know, from his home studios he had before until now. And then now that he's not there, it's like, okay, this doesn't make sense. And you have to, you have to address it. Is that fair? Were they fair to you? Look, not now you've had some time, you know, looking back and you see what happened with Mel. And I got to believe there's a zillion other people working at ESPN that aren't vaccinated that are still working. I'm, I'm not a zillion, but there's some. Looking mm -hmm. back on it, you know, you've had some time here now. What, 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 what do you think about how you were treated? I don't think it was fair. No, 
um, I don't think they established what they are required to legally. And that's that keeping me on as an employee would create an undue burden, uh, which for an, a religious exemption, they have to prove that it would cost them essentially more money to accommodate me. And I, I no, I mean, it wouldn't have. I could have still hosted college basketball in studio like I always did, like I had previously. Um, would it cost the same amount of money for me to travel to Bristol as it always did? It would have cost the same amount of money to put me up in a hotel and, and, uh, and so forth as it always did. There was no increase in expense to them to accommodate me. Um, I also think the blanket no travel without a vaccine isn't fair because, again, it doesn't establish an undue burden, which they're legally required to under Title VII. So, um, no, I, I think that there and if we do pursue a lawsuit, which I, I'm, I don't know if I will, um, I kept asking them, like, how is this creating an undue burden? And they just, it was like circular reasoning the whole time. So, no, I think the blanket policy of no travel without a vaccine is um, discriminatory and I think unfair. And then also I think they could have absolutely accommodated me by allowing me to continue in my other role outside of just as a sideline reporter. Like if that was the hard no, okay, fine. You can still let me host, you know, college basketball halftime and wraps and so forth. You could still let me host college football live. Um, you could do all those things and it didn't cost the company any more money. So that, so therefore there is no undue burden on the company. Um, and I would have been open to a reduction in salary if they would have said, look, you can't do games. Will reduce your pay, but you can continue to work as a host. I absolutely would have been open to that, and that was never uh, an option on the table either. So, uh, do I feel like I was treated fairly? No, but there's a lot of people, like you said, like okay, there's got to be a tons that aren't vaccinated. There's very, very few. I know of one medical oh, exemption right? they granted. Yeah, I know of one medical exemption they granted, and then he ended up still getting it because he had to travel to events. So against his own doctor's company-approved legitimate medical exemption, um, he still got it. And then I know of two religious ones they approved for people who did not travel and only worked, like in in um, one in Charlotte, who has since left the company. One in Charlotte and one in Bristol. Uh, two in Bristol. Sorry, there's two in Bristol that they approved. One was a medical. One was a religious. Um, and they made their lives very, very, very difficult with the N95 masking and the restrictions and all of that. I always just assume when I see somebody um, on bigger shows, like, you know, N NBA Countdown or the pregame shows, postgame shows that aren't in studio, I just assume that they made provisions for them not to be vaccinated so they didn't come in. They're just, like, I see Mike Wilburn, but then I don't watch it that much. I basically, whatever, you know, it's light out here to like, 10 o'clock at night. So I'm, you know, I'm generally jacking around because Lee, you know, makes me feel guilty if I don't do the lawn or I don't, you know, clean out right. whatever. You know what I mean? That's that's a that's a You're side note. Chores. She's not around here. So I, <laughs> yeah. It's like if I sit my fat, you know what, down to watch a pregame show and Lee's outside, you know, sawing logs, I feel guilty and I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta go do something, you know. But right. I don't know. I just whenever I see somebody that isn't in studio, I just assume that they're unvaxxed and they're getting an exemption. But that's probably not accurate. Oh, in, boy. What I just do? What'd you do? You sent off the alarm? <laughs> I don't know. Some alarm. Oh. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> um, and that may be that may be the case for some. Um, I just know the people that I have heard from and that have reached out. 
have all been denied. Um, and I'm trying to think there was one on the baseball side that yes, he was allowed to continue to do home from home, like virtual games. Um, but then there was another gentleman who was also on the baseball side, who's no longer with the company and had to leave. So I, they, it was very, very few and far between that they approved these. Let, let me, let me end with this. Uh, what, tell me what, what's going on. Where's the show? Where are we at? What's going on? Dockage, big newsman. I got a flight. We're booked. We got a date. We got a guest. It's happening. <laughs> Going to New York uh, next no week. No kidding. Yeah, we're going to sit down and do um, a long form interview with Jonathan Isaac, um, who is writing a book or actually wrote a book. I just finished it called Why I Stand, recounting his experience um, standing in the NBA bubble for the national anthem. He's the only one. And then you'll remember he went viral too for his stance and the explanation for not getting. Um, vaccinated. And so going to sit down with him and talk to him about his journey, um, how he kind of came to that point and that decision and what's influenced him. And uh, his his faith is a big part of that and a big part of um, why he came to those two decisions. So I am so freaking excited to get on a plane like by myself. Don't let my kid won't hear this by myself and actually feel like a work. I haven't traveled or I haven't traveled for work since the final four last year in Indy. So like, it, you know, for us, that's insane. When you travel every weekend and you're like on the road all the time and granted it's been, it's been great like to have the extra time at home and stuff. Um, but it's like, Holy cow. I'm okay. This is actually like somewhat, you want to talk about getting back to normal. Like this is a little bit of a sign that, all right, we're, we're doing something, uh, going to get back out there. And, uh, I, I can't wait. I'm super excited. Two things with that. One, congratulations. And two, speaking of Jonathan Isaacs, I don't know how you were at the at the U, but I know how I was at IU. And man, young people, college people are so much deeper than my sorry backside was back in the day. I dudes write books, dudes stand, they sit. I mean, I was just like, hey, Coach Knight, you're going to play me? Uh, can I get in the game? You know what I mean? Me? Like, man. Holy cow. He, he's a different cat, though. Like, I don't know. I remember when um, he was at Florida State, I had quite a few of his games. And I remember thinking that, and, and all of his coaches said that, too, like Dennis Gates and, and Charlton Young and all those guys at Florida State were like, dude, this kid's different. Like, yes, he's crazy talented, but he's incredibly humble and introspective and like a deep thinker and feeler and all these things. Um, and I connected with him at Florida State because he did. He had this like wisdom and maturity and presence about him uh, that I was kind of blown away by. But then you read his book and you realize what was going on behind the scenes and some of the internal struggles and the self-doubt that he had and uh, the, the anxiety that he battled um, that I had no idea, you know, from the outside looking in, you, you wouldn't. And uh, it, yeah, he, so he is a different cat. Like, I've, I feel like you and I were probably on the same page and aligned with the majority of college students that were there for a good time and <laughs> not worried about a whole lot else other than if they can make their class after uh, their night on the town and, and those types of things. But he is, uh, Jonathan Isaac is a, is, a, is a different dude all the way around. 
I, I mean, I spent a couple nights in a tent protesting apartheid in Dunmeadow, but that was only because the girl that I was trying to hit on was staying in the tent too. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I apartheid. Bad, right? It was terrible. Right? You're but, like, sure, dude. I mean, share tent in. <laughs> I went, <laughs> I went like, hey, hey, Dan, you want to go protest with us? Yeah, where are we going? I didn't know I was gonna have to sleep in a tent for two nights, but hey, it's all right. I mean, nah, man. When, when is when are we? <laughs> when, when is this airing? Where can we see it? Give me some logistics here. Uh, we do not have an air day yet. But I will. You will be the first to know. I will. I will make sure that we um, we debut the 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 access downloads, all information, date, all that good stuff right here on on Don't At Me. We'll we'll make the big announcement. See, you're the best. See that? See, that's called <laughs> vertical integration. You just got everything in. That's Have a great term. week. I, like I love talking to you. Thank congratulations. Thanks, Travel safe, please, without a mask. I know. That's the best part. <laughs> we'll see ya. Bye. I know. Oh, man. That's the great Allison Williams, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Uh, if she's going to do a show, it's going to be great. I'm telling you right now. It's on the Daily Mail. It's with Ben Shapiro and his group, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Mark my words on that. And I, I'm, I'm serious about this. One of the things that has, you know, when you do your job, you get into your job. And as a coach, you get into your job. And I really got into my players and all that kind of stuff. And then when you're out uh, and you're in a media job and you're doing games or you're doing shows and you get to know the stories of some of these, these players, whether they're kids in college or you know adults in college. Hell, some guys have been in college for six years. Two things happen. One, you're fascinated by their story. But two, man, there's such tragedy in so many young kids' lives, this is why I am big on fathers. This is why I support Tony Dungy and Governor DeSantis and what they're trying to do in Florida because I'm so big on fathers. And my experience has been in talking to a variety of kids, fathers were absent. And fathers make a difference. But the bigger picture is what a lot of these guys has, have overcome. And I can't wait to see what Jonathan Isaacs has to say when he talks to Allison on her show because I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating. It, as a guy who played my whole life with, you know, you know, when you play basketball in Gary, Indiana, there's black kids, white kids, there's older, younger. I mean, there's poor, rich. It didn't really matter. Guys went to Pittman Square. Guys went to Broad Street or guys went to Maryville High School and you played in the evening and you just, everybody, there was a game, let's play. Or you go to Roosevelt or you go to Glen Park School. It didn't matter. You go play. Um, but you don't really, so you know but you don't really know the stories until, or at least I didn't. I knew the stories of my teammates, but I didn't know the stories across the board, a bigger, a bigger section of college basketball. And man, oh man, some of the things that these kids have overcome and the depth of these kids and what they've had to sacrifice and what they've had to do for others on the way up to get to a Florida State, to get to an Indiana, to get to a Purdue, to get to a Notre Dame or wherever the heck it is, whatever school that we were covering is absolutely fascinating. It really is. And over the course of the summer, I'm going to try to get some players on and have them tell their stories because I think stories are fascinating. I think I, I, I have a saying that people that listen to my show uh, in Indianapolis know that I say this all the time. There's always a backstory. Think whatever you want. Go however, whatever direction you want to go in. 
but there's always a backstory. I talked about it yesterday with Colin Kaepernick. I'm trying, I was trying to figure out the backstory. I think that I did. He needs a third act. Major motion picture, third act. Colin Kaepernick gets to the Super Bowl after this time off, after all of the things that he you know, has gone through. Whether you agree with him or disagree with him doesn't matter. Those are his things. So I think that people, uh, he needs a, there's a backstory there. There's always a backstory. You know, Allison's story. Allison's story where, you know, she didn't get vaccinated. Eventually it got to the higher ups, the corporate kind of level of ESPN. And when it gets to the corporate level of ESPN, it's over. The people that you deal with on a daily basis are usually pretty cool. Telling you. There's always a backstory. It does not matter what the media tells you. It does not matter what you read. Gerald Ford famously told Bob Knight, if you think the sports page is warped, you should see the front page. There's always a backstory. 100% of the time, 9,100% of the time, it doesn't matter. There always is. Anyway, uh, thanks to Allison for coming on. Obviously, thanks to our friend Paul Kuharski. I'm going to join... Outkick 360 this afternoon at uh, 420. Uh, if you want to talk, we'll talk some football. We'll talk whatever they want to talk about. Uh, you can catch this beautiful face coming up at noon. From noon to 3 uh, on 107.5 The Fan. Uh, you can go to 1075thefan.com, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. Excuse me. Hope you'll join us. Tomorrow we'll be right here. Same bad time. Same bat channel. My thanks as always to Ryan and to Davey and, of course, to Dylan for setting up the show, getting us going, turning the lights on. Dockage out!